0: Okay, so our first speaker is going to be Abel, Jr., our Alateen.
1: Yep,
2: yep. Hi, I'm Abel. Hi, hey, Abel. Okay, um, grateful i valentine for 12 years. Um, yeah, I started when I was really little. Um, okay, so where do I start? Um. I guess first thing to say is that, um, I was never, well, I was, no, I wasn't, I was never really around when my dad was, like, drinking, drinking, um, they had me at 20 and I think my dad got clean at 16, 17, 18, okay, um, and I never got to see him, like, how he was fully bad, but what I did get is that I got him, as he was still trying to get himself, off of that, and I don't know, maybe A.A.s can say, but he wasn't exactly the happiest at that time, Um, and to top it off, he was trying to get um, a business he was trying to get out of the ground, or try to get the skills for that, so he wasn't there a lot of the time for when I was little. Um, I guess I remember a lot of my a lot of stuff being very, very hostile, very angry, um, my mom and dad, it'd be a lot of arguing, it'd be a lot of just yelling in the middle of the night, and, um, I'm sure um, a lot of Alecans would know, but you just remember some of those things where, like, it's the middle of the night, and you get wake, woken up by screams or by yelling. And then when you come out, you have two very scary adults just asking you whose side are you on when you're like seven. And then you're either with your older sibling or, because I had my sister, um, you're with their older sibling just there inside a room and you're cheering up while they're trying to comfort you. And those are a lot of... Like I said, there were a lot of scary times, and I didn't really know what to do. All I knew was that every Saturday, um, it wasn't one of those days, because every Saturday there was a family meeting where I was at, and I was really little, really, really little, and I didn't didn't know exactly what the meetings were for. All I knew was that that's where my family went, with a whole bunch of people who were way older than them, and... (laughs) they all hung out well me and other kids my age just went out and played and I'm happy to say those were my first friends and we just we have fun and that was the only place I could think of where we had we felt safe and oh yeah that time um I did get taken sometimes to like My dad would take me to his AA meetings and my mom would take me to the Al-Anon meetings. But mm, I always felt out of place at those ones, probably because I was a little kid again. But back to where I was going. um, Eventually they started a pre-teen meeting um, for us. And like I said before, I never really fully understood it. Um, To make it quick, that's where we read the steps um, Learn how to say anonymity,
1: and then yeah, and then and then
2: try the concept with like some of the slogans were, and not saying that was bad, cause we were small, so that was the best they could do with us, and I thank them for that. But nothing really got ever in depth, and it wasn't until I think like age 11 or 10. I think, I believe, where I went into an actual outing meeting and I'm not going to lie, I cried for some unknown reason. I just started bawling. Maybe because I was scared that I had to do something different. And um, I was hearing people share and the little friends I had, I got to hear stories that I'd never heard from them before. And it really hit it really hit me hard, especially at like 12 and 13, because um, my way with dealing a lot of problems um, back then and still is that I would be someone who would kind of hide away from everything. Um, I'd lock myself up in, my, in my room or do that thing to where if mom and dad are fighting in their room right now, I'll just turn on the TV and turning up really loud because the families are happy in there and that's that's how it's still been and as I got older maybe it wasn't cartoons anymore maybe it was like books or something but I've always had that idea of just like I'll run away from it right now and I never felt like anyone actually really got that because anytime I tried to stay at school um, it was always just you know oh you're just you know, face the problem or you just have a weird geeky status or introvert stuff and when I shared that one time um, in my meeting that I like to run away um, I never thought i heard but I heard one of them go like yeah, I do that too and that's where that whole realization came where I'm like oh, I'm not alone in this, am I? And we're another blessing for that is that my sister really got involved in the whole really, really involved in Alateen stuff Um, started working for like conventions um, doing SCAC stuff and that that really helped me because since she went everywhere um, me being a little boy at first who was always in her well following her anywhere she went I would go and That just that was great because I love I loved my meeting and and all but just going to other meetings that's that was just a big eye opener to me because really when I like back in preaching I really thought that like our our family meeting was like the only one in existence (laughs) and I just thought like our town was like really messed up or something. But it's it was um, it was just different, and it was a good difference. Um, I can't say though after twelve years. Um, it's I mean it's not like I'm not trying to say that like it's always bad, but after twelve years, it's. Things have changed. I've I've gotten a long way better than I think I would have if I didn't with my parents. Um, there still is a big, a lot of conflicts between us, and like I don't know. That's just, that's still a big thing with me. So I gotta learn to accept my parents for who they are, and vice like, versa. I think I swallowed that one. Huh. But um but sorry the gum got me off track. Um Okay.
1: Yeah
2: it's gone. Alright, here we are. Um me and my parents um like I said I've never gone along. We've always been very different people but a lot of stuff through the program. I've learned to love them for who they are, and learned the whole love and tolerance thing, which is really, really hard. <laughs> oh gosh, really hard. And it's it's just been very different. And like I see my little brother a lot of the times, and me and my sister always like to joke about it to say that he got the easy, he got the easy. I don't know the phrase, but he got the easy end of the whole mm-hmm. chaos that we went through. Yeah, cheer all you want. But, there was a bit of, like, resentment for that for a while, but I've gotten used to, like, I'm thankful that he got the easy end out of it, because I, I sure as heck do know what it's like to get the hard end out of it, and I wouldn't want to waste that upon anyone else. But, I don't know program program has kept me chugging for a while um best example being that that little group that I had um about wow four or five years ago that little group broke up due to some internal family meeting stuff and I'm I'm still not exactly clear on what happened I, I'm guessing I probably actually heard the whole story but I just didn't pay attention um because I didn't want to hear but um that whole family group broke up for a while. It's gotten... We've been trying to fix that for a while, but it's, you know, faces have come and gone, and a lot of the people who were in my Alexing group, um, sadly, were not anymore, and for a while, it was just me and my mom, who was the leader of the group at the time, just sitting in a room every Thursday for, like, 20 minutes with no one showing up, and for that time, I really... I really lost myself with the program and um even worse, my grandmother who I I love with all my heart was passing away at that time and you know, when stuff like that happens, you kinda you really need a program and sadly I was kind of short of one for a while. But I just I remember reading books and little one at that and it was a page about you know keep chugging on and no matter what don't lose hope and throughout all the hard stuff it, it was bad but I'm glad that I started we started just driving to other towns because um, my parents were great and they were really nice but driving to other towns to take me to meetings and I probably wouldn't have survive without those um, and I don't know how but it always just happens my the meaning that was dead for almost three years started growing again and that was I was ecstatic but also I was put in a weird position because I just realized that i I was the senior member now of that whole group and mm-hmm. i I had never been out of everyone in my old group i was i was the baby mm. everyone was always either my age or like 2 to 3 years older than me and i mostly just hear from them and then go off to of them and i had to be like oh i got to give an example now i got to be the smart one i got to be the the leader they can't say anonymity i can though and I mean, not that I went crazy with power or anything, but, um, I went, I still am, but I've gotten better, is to learn of, like, what it has to do, what examples do you have to set, and how to work with other people instead of being the one worked with. And I, I guess I can say that and of everything I'm, the, it helped me get through my problems. It it helped me through the bad stuff, but overall, I would say it it raised me. And I think my dad said this once: is that I was I, don't, I was a very angry kid when I was little. It was me against the world. Even as like a little like two year old, I was just always quiet and always angry, and that stayed till like age four or five. But he said that. He said a great thing is that um, he probably couldn't have done that, or both of them, my mom and dad, couldn't probably have raised me to be someone happy, but it took a whole family, a whole family group to actually do that. And I fully believe that with all my heart. Um, without the program, I definitely wouldn't have been the person the person I am right now. It, it helped me grow up. It raised me. It was that for me. And I... I like to think that, yeah, I didn't have, like, the normal family of, like, four or five. I had a super awesome family of, like, 30, 40.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's just, that's been a shining moment, and that's always going to be the best moment.
3: No much time.
2: I was trying to set the whole climax up with the happy thing but I can keep this going for a while longer but okay but yeah it, it did make me who I am and I I've also realized that maybe this is the last thing but um it's it's well it's calmed me down um fun story for today um anyone in high school right now um especially California I had to do today I had a PSAT this morning and yeah and we were supposed to come here for I think a banquet at 11 a
1: luncheon
2: luncheon at 11 um my test was at 8 so I'm like oh this is only going to be like two hours we can do here drive I did not know they had a freaking like hour and a half bubbling freaking ants like oh what is your name A-B-E-A. what race are you uh, but instead i got out at like 11:20, and i was freaking out the entire freaking time i'm like crap 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 they're all gonna hate us now
1: <laughs>
2: we came late it's like we flipped them all off
1: yeah, it.
2: but um thankfully i should have known but you, you all still love us. And, yeah, we may, have, we may have, like, gone a bit over the speed limit to get over here, but...
1: <laughs> but,
2: we got here, and I feel a heck of a lot more calmer than I did before.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, I don't know, like I said, um, I'm getting bigger, I'm... I'm realizing, too, I'm, like, 16, I'm growing up, um... I don't know, all I say is that because of this program, I have full optimism for the future, and it's just, it's getting better for my life. Um, getting better all the time, and I just, I just know that even if stuff's bad, or even if anything's going downhill, like that page said, if I just preserve on it, if I just keep this program, everything's going to be okay. Thank you.
0: Is it on? We knew that. All right. Now we're going to hear from Dad. Abel Sr., come on down. Our next contestant. I'm sure.
1: My name's Abel. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, uh, sober since October 24th,
3: 1994 for that ungrateful. And... Uh, Thank you guys for coming. What's up, Ryan? How are you, buddy? Good to see you. Um, I want to thank Ryan for coming out. He came all the way from Barstow to support us, man. I appreciate that. All right, now the rest of it's about me. Um, I don't know.
1: There's I... no mic No mic. I can talk louder if you want. There you go. All right. <laughs>
3: um, for me, I was thinking about this uh, before I we came down. I I told her and the kids, I told my wife and kids, I said, you know, give me just a couple of minutes and, as you take a few minutes and pray before I, I speak. And I just ask God that, you know, there's just one person that I can say something to help them with. And, you know, I, I feel that... Uh, That's what he would have me do. So I was there and I was thinking about all that. And um, I usually read the first page or two of um, the family afterwards chapter. And uh, I like those first couple pages because it talks about, you know, that the family is always so quick to do one of two things. Either take and let's just not talk about it and hide everything. And as it creeps up, we'll deal with it. Or else, um, you know, they want to throw all the guilt, shame and remorse on on dad and, and uh, demand that, that he fix it all right now, and um, we've been on both sides of that spectrum as a family, and I, I know what it's like to um, to feel that, and uh, I also know what it's like to, because uh, I grew up in an alcoholic home to feel like when is it going to get any better? Is this ever going to change? You know, and uh, you know, so for me. I'm very grateful for the people that uh, when we came in the program, like my son shared with you, that there were people around that had more time than us that uh, took the time to really teach us what family recovery is. I'm one that believes and what I was taught is that one of the most selfish things that an alcoholic can do is come in, get a program, get a God, get all these wonderful tools in their toolbox and then deny their family that very same right to recover. I believe that with all my heart. and. Um, you know, in the first couple of years that I was here, um, my wife's attitude was, that's your problem. I really don't give an F about it. And, um, I don't want to know what goes on in your meetings. I don't want to know what you guys are doing. You fix it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so we went down that road for a couple of years and I have friends today and guys that I sponsor and stuff. And, uh, you know, they want to complain about their wives or complain about their family situation. And what I tell them is, if you're newer in the program and you got a wife or family that's going to meetings, please realize how fortunate you are to have that. You know, because there's people that go, come home every day for meetings, and basically their family's kicking them when they get home, you know. Do you got to be there? Why are you there so long? We never see you. And, you know, you're gone now more than you when you were drinking. And... Uh, very grateful that that um, you know, like my son shared with you, that a couple of years, ago, actually it was about eight years ago, our family group fell apart, and uh, the old timers went through some stuff, and uh, a lot of people got resentments and left, and uh, I'm no exception to that. I, my solution to that was I'll I'll just start working more and going to less meetings, and not talking to a sponsor. Somehow that'll fix everything, right? And. Um, I got pretty crazy after about a year. You know, I was dry and I was nuts, and uh, had more money, property, and prestige than I ever had, and I was completely seconds and inches from getting drunk and loaded. And I was living in a little place by myself, and my wife and kids were living in our home, and everything was just that I had been taught and thought had completely been turned upside down. And that was that ten years over. I also had a surrender that I needed to go through with all that, and, uh, when I got on the other side of it, um, like my son said, is that there was, at that time, there was no, um, family recovery going on in a little town that we live in, and so the sponsor that I had said, if you, what, what did you learn from those people? If you don't have it and you want it, you need to go create it, and, uh, that's what we did you know her and i had to get on the same page again and uh i believe the things that our book says you know is that uh sometimes we need outside help and we went to counseling for three years because we we didn't know how to communicate with each other other than yell and scream and flip each other off and throw stuff up and down the hallway which is what they call hallway sex but um (laughs) other than that we couldn't communicate and you know the group that we were in, you know I had a sponsor, she had a sponsor, I took my stuff to him, she took her stuff to her, and uh, through that, you know we would work through things. The problem with that is is that when when those people that are you know you're taking your stuff to, when they become sick and you haven't learned how to communicate because you become dependent on them, there is no relationship between you and the person you're living with. And uh, thank God for that lady that uh, took the time to sit down with us and say, I'll teach you guys how to communicate and so every every two weeks for three years we did that you know and basically what we found at the end of that road was and these were her words is if you just go back and work a program and let me help you with the other stuff you'll be fine you know you don't need to be on pills you don't need to be you know coming here every other day you don't need to be blowing up my cell phone you just work a program and use the tools that God's given you you'll be okay and uh, so that's what we did you know and um not because I wanted to, trust me. Um, but I, I started a um, a men's stag home group. And, and what came out of that was about a year later, we started a, an AA Al-Anon-Alateen family meeting. And, um, you know, today there's, you know, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's 20 families. that You know, we're all doing stuff together. And, you know, we go to meetings and campouts and we do all kinds of different things and we're very involved and active. And... Uh, But I do believe what our book says, um, again, is that let each family play together or separate as much as their circumstances warrant. And what that has meant in my home is that three different times in the last almost 19 years of my sobriety, we've been separated. It was either things that I wasn't willing to surrender and, and work through or things that she wasn't willing to surrender and work through. But three different times in my sobriety, we've had to go through that so that we could get on the other side of some things, and, uh, you know, I know that's not everybody's story. I know that a lot of uh, alcoholic men are afraid, you know, for their families to, to get recovery because it's, uh, you know, oh they're going to go to Al-Anon and divorce me, or they're going to tell them to leave me, and, you know, is it that's really not what Al-Anon is about, you know, and I understand that today, you know, and uh, for me. You know, just real quick, on, I'll give you my what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. Is that <clears throat> like I shared with you? I grew up in an alcoholic home, and and uh, so bad, I uh, I grew up always hiding in the closet. You know, mom and dad screaming and yelling and all that stuff. And uh, you know, it's not that I don't have sympathy or compassion for my son, because I know I've been the one to wake him up, like he was talking about. when I've I've had bad moments, but um, I was sober through the things he shared with you. I got to wake up with a raging, drunk, lunatic, alcoholic father throwing and screaming and cops coming to the house and all that stuff, you know. And uh, sitting in my room crying and going, God, are you real? And if you are, why are you allowing this to continue to happen again and again and again? And... uh, you know what's the thing for that is that I swore I would never be like that man. I swore that I, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to treat my family that way. I don't want to live that way. And that's exactly what I became. And even even worse, you know.
1: And uh,
3: what I knew about and, and to go back to that a little bit is that my dad, whether he understands it or not, was probably did the best 12 step call on me that a person could possibly do because from the time i was about five years old i it was just it was a cycle in our home you know my dad ex-marine all that stuff and and he would at the time they called it nervous breakdowns i didn't know he was detoxing but that's what he called it i'm having a nervous breakdown and he would go to like schick or raleigh hills or one of these places down uh, this way and uh, get out of treatment and then he'd come home and go to Alcoholics Anonymous for about a year or so, get a sponsor, not agree with what they're doing, and then he'd go to church and hide out. And after about a year at church, he'd get drunk and loaded, and here we go all over again. So, you know, as long as he was sober, he was working, we were okay, and when he wasn't, we were on welfare. And it was that cycle, it was about a three-year turnover every time. So when my problems started happening, I knew that you could go to Alcoholics Anonymous and you could get sober, but I had no idea about long-term sobriety. I had no idea that that there was anything past a year or two of sobriety. And uh, when I was coming up on three years sober, me and my dad were having some problems. And uh, we were the type of father and son that that, uh, we were very physically abusive to each other. We would put our hands on each other. And, uh, you know, I've been six foot, 200 plus since I was 12 years old. My dad's a little guy, he's about 5'7, about 150 pounds soaking wet. And,. uh, some things happened when I was real uh, becoming a teenager that, that I just uh, physically I lost all respect for my dad and I believe once you allow that to happen in your home it's very hard to get your kids to respect you again and uh, so I just uh, we went back and forth for a long time and, and uh, when I went when I finally uh, what had happened was I I left this Lifestyle that I had going on of drugs and gangs and alcohol and getting in trouble and, and uh, legal issues and stuff like that. I left all that behind and I thought, like any good alcoholic, I'll just hang out with different people and that'll fix everything. And um, so I did that for a little while. And um, you know, it's funny that, that uh, it's the hurt instinct. I'm going to hang out with my own kind of people no matter what. I just migrate to those kinds of people. You know, we. My wife laughs because I'll uh, be at a gas station and I'm the guy that everybody comes up to and goes, Hey, I got a stereo in the back
0: of the trunk.
3: You want to, you want to see it? You know, it's brand new in a box. You want to check it out real quick? You know, I just those people find me no matter where I go, what I do. You know, and uh, she goes, I don't know what it is. You got a sign on you or something? But you always find those guys. And uh, I got this bracelet, man. And let me show you, you know it's real. And uh, I just I ran out of gas and, you know, all I just so I find those people no matter what and what I know is that's really my kind you know I fit in just fine with those people
1: Mm -hmm.
3: and uh, so I you know I thought well I'll I'll hang out with this other crowd and uh, you know I'm I'm a good alcoholic I I uh, was going out with this girl that was uh, was her best friend's little sister and uh, she it's funny we're by Magic Mountain and and uh, (laughs) we were hanging out and and you know, she broke my heart. And so I, I used that for about a year, went around telling everybody, she broke my heart so I could get more dates out of it and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, poor me, poor me. And, uh, her and I became friends and, and, uh, you know, I was from a different part of town. I got in a lot of trouble and things like that. And she went to class every day. I don't know how you do that, but she did. And (laughs) she, she, you know, got good grades and played in the band and all this stuff. And, uh, that was furthest thing from what I was doing. And uh, we were coming to, we were taking a family trip to Magic Mountain and my uh, my mom said, oh, I invited your little friend. And there was this this other girl that was, uh, I thought would have been more fun at Magic Mountain, at least. And uh, I was all, cool, you invited her? She goes, no, no, no. I invite her. And I was like,
1: oh, man. Really? <laughs> and, uh, you
3: know, we, we had a good time and uh that's where we had a little spark or whatever you want to call it and and uh you know we knew i kind of knew it was going to turn into more than than just being friends and uh so some time went by and uh, we got together and, and uh she got pregnant and trapped me poor me again right and uh <laughs> but the truth is that we were too Halves
1: mm-hmm.
3: of human beings that thought that being together would make us one whole, and that maybe this little baby would fix all that. Mm-hmm. And when the book talks about you know all the different things we try to do, to, you know this job, this uh, relationship, this car, whatever is going to fix this for me. Mm-hmm. And it was something that you know looking back on it, we were just teenagers, but we thought that that would fix it. You know we came from broken type families, so maybe this will. God's given us a chance that we could fix this. And, uh, so we got together and we made a decision to have this little girl and, and, um, we did. And, and my disease went full blown at that point, you know, and, uh, we were doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, she wanted to go to counseling and, and these different things. And, uh, my solution to that was, okay, we'll go to counseling. And, uh, I sat there and lied to the counselor and she says, uh, you know, I don't think you're an alcoholic. I think you're just bored. You need to find a hobby. And I thought, I can do that. So I knew these guys; they were playing on this uh, winter softball league. And you know, I'm a quick study. I get there. All the the ice chest is full of beer, and everybody's got some kind of drugs in their bag. And I get to practice, and I never leave the dugout. And after a few months of that, they're pissed off at me because I'm stealing all their stuff and drinking all their stuff. And I go home, and she's mad. Why are you messed up again? Shut up! Leave me alone. I'm playing softball.
1: <laughs>
3: doing what they told me, you know. And uh, what happened with that was that one weekend she was gone, and I, so I had, uh, I was doing insurance and stuff with my dad, trying to. Uh, Make a little money, and and uh, I was still in school, and she was working three jobs to support us. I'm the type of alcoholic that I've always been self-supporting because my wife's always had a job of some kind, and uh, you know she's working her butt off, and and I'm taking advantage of the whole situation. And she uh, she went out of town with her mother and and, and took our daughter with her, and uh, a few days prior to that, I I'm gonna get sober right now, I promise. Um, I went to see a guy, and I asked him, I you know hey, I want to do some business with you. and uh, That what was going to be a one-hour sit-down with him turned into about four hours, and I'm on the couch at his house, and we're reading page 20 and 21 in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And in there, it talks—it the, shows the progression of the disease where we start out, and it's fun, and this and that. And at the end of that, it's basically jails, institutions, and death. And uh, he says, you know, I can't, one, tell you you're an alcoholic. Two, can't tell you how much further you need to go down this road. That's up to you. And uh, a couple pages over from that, though, I'm a quick study. It says, if you do not believe that you are a real alcoholic, you ought to try this controlled drinking thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was on Wednesday, so Friday night. um, Some friends of mine called me up and said, hey, man, we're having a party. And I thought, what an opportunity. What a wonderful time to try this controlled drinking thing. Right? I took science. I'm going to do an experiment. What the hell? uh, so they come and pick me up, and I remember getting there. It was about six o'clock in the evening. I remember having a couple shots, a couple beers, and uh, when I came to, it was Monday, about four o'clock in the morning. And uh, once again, I had blacked out and started tearing up somebody's house and gotten fights, and people shot at me and I shot at people, and all kinds of different things that happened. And uh, you know, it just it was another bad situation. And I managed to get home, and. Uh, I, when I came to, it was two o'clock in the afternoon that day. It was a, it was a, in a desert. It can be warm in October sometimes still. And, and the front door had been left wide open. And I had fallen out in the closet in a pile of my, puddle of my own puke. And there were flies buzzing me. And when I got up and I looked in the mirror, opposite of that mirror on the wall behind me was a picture of that little girl and my wife. And she's just a little baby, and she's holding her in that picture. And I knew at that moment that was my moment of clarity everything that everybody, counselors, priests, teachers, parents had been telling me for the last two years, I knew they were right at that point. And I called that man up and I said, I need some help because I tried this controlled drinking thing and I I can't do that, man. I only really wanted to have two or three, like it said in the book, and stop abruptly and I couldn't do that. And uh, that man came and and picked me up and started dragging me to meetings. And, uh, you know, she used to tease me and say, uh, it's... Now, who's your friend of the month? You know, she said I had a friend of the month club. Buddy up to somebody and use them up, and then boom, I was done with them, so I had to find somebody else. And uh, she's, she really thought that that's where this was going to go. And uh, after I was coming up on about a year sober, when we knew something had changed in our home, was that when we used to fight, I'm a hostage taker. I'm going to walk you into the bathroom. I'm going to walk you into the bedroom. I'm going to shut the door, stand in front of it, and we're not done fighting. I'm not going to move away from that door until we're done with this fight. And uh, I was coming up on a year, and we were having a fight, and I remember looking at her, and she was the one that was jumping in front of the door saying, we're not done fighting. We're going to finish this fight. And I looked at her, with my very smug, almost a year sober, Alcoholics Anonymous face, and gave her, and, and said something to her that my sponsor had said in a meeting, and I thought it would be cool to repeat. And I said, oh, I'm not going to debate this with you. And I walked out the back door, called him, and went to a meeting. And, uh, that was the first time that we knew something in our house had changed. Because I wasn't fighting the way that, that we used to, and she was. And, uh, so she started coming to meetings and checking some things out. and She'll tell you in her story. But um, at a meeting that we went to up in, in the Big Bear Mountains, uh, a man was listening to her and said because she could identify with the insanity of us alcoholics, but she didn't have the physical allergy part of it. And uh, so she went and uh, this man said, Honey, you're not a uh, an alcoholic or an addict. You're an Al-Anon. And he went and got her some literature. And I remember her coming home that night Spending like two hours in the bathroom reading that stuff, and uh, you know, she finally found a place where she
1: fit. And uh,
3: the thing with that is that if you really want to do family recovery, you got to get out of the way, you know. And uh, I have a lot of friends that I love dearly in Alcoholics Anonymous, but they want to control and manipulate their wives and kids and do all that. And
1: uh,
3: I've been in meetings where my kids have got up and called me out on my shit in front of everybody. Excuse my language in front of my sponsor, in front of the guys that I sponsor, in front of the other families in our group and have, have, you know, called me out on that. And uh, the thing is that my family feels safe in Alcoholics Anonymous and the rooms of Al-Anon. And uh, I hope that they always feel that way. I was my little girl. When we first came to the program, she was about 18 months old, and I would sit her down in the chair. and And the way I talked, this was acceptable to me at the time, let sit down, shut the F up, and don't F and talk to nobody. This was a little 18-month-old girl with her little red hair in her face, and she'd sit there with her old coat, and the old-timers in the meeting would come, and they'd give her some candy, and, and I would just glare at them, like, leave my kid alone, man. What are you doing? And uh, I was about two years sober, and my sponsor said, uh, do you see that? And I said, what are you talking about? And what had happened was we were at a meeting, and I had brought my daughter with me, and she was underneath the table asleep he goes, she feels so safe in these rooms that she can lay down there and go to sleep. Do you understand what a miracle that is in your family? And, uh, you know, uh, that night I really digested that and I sat and then I cried about that because that was was something different for us. And, uh, you know, we've done a lot of things, and I'm going to wrap it up quickly here. We've done a lot of things in recovery that a lot of people have judged us for, you know. Uh, My family especially, you know. Why do you make your kids go to those meetings? Why, why do you guys keep doing that, going to those, those things? Why do you guys got to go talk all the time? Why do you guys got to you know, put on workshops and do the things that we do? And, uh, how come you always got to help them other families? You know? How come they don't just go to their priest or their counselor or whatever and, and get help? And uh, you know, I can't explain it to them, but what I know is that uh, there were people there that helped us and that I feel responsible, you know, that I have a duty to give that back. And I was just reading it in the book, you know, it's the second page over, and it says that, uh, you know, any member of that family that has been given that type of relief should be more than willing to help another family that wants help. And, uh, you know, I <clears throat> had a guy that I call, that I, I love call me on the way over here, and, you know, there's some chaos going on, and he's coming, and he's not coming, and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, the final message that after we were texting back and forth was, you do whatever you think is best, dude. I'm going to go do Alcoholics Anonymous because that's what I've been taught to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was about three years ago, her and I were having an issue about four years ago. And uh, I basically kidnapped my kids and took them to the Orange County Convention, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: you know, and I I don't feel bad about that. I'm not going to apologize for that because when I, I know that for me, when I Needed to run to a place. I ran to I ran Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. When I got there, the Al-Anons that I knew said, "At least call your wife and let her know where you guys are at, and that you're okay."
1: <laughs>
3: so I called her. I'm like, "Yeah, the Al-Anons made me call you." So, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, she said, "Yeah, I knew they would. Okay.
1: <laughs> you
3: guys are right. Yeah, we're right. All right. See you later."
1: <laughs> and, uh,
3: God has always put the right people in our lives to uh, give us what we need. And, um, you know, I don't apologize for the fact that, you know, the old timer sat us down and said, you know, are you raising kids or are you raising kids to become adults? And I had to take a real big look at that, you know. Uh, we have a 20-year-old daughter that's in Arizona State going to college, and uh, she just transitioned from years and years of Alateen. She was a Southern California Alateen uh area rep or whatever she was and uh, she's transitioning in the Al-Anon right now And uh, you know last year we were speaking at the Laughlin convention as a family and my daughter was in Prescott speaking at, at an Al-Anon convention over there mm-hmm. and uh, you know some people would you know want their kids to graduate from Harvard or whatever and all that and uh, she probably will because she's that kind of kid but um, you know that was a big big deal to me you know, coming from where we come from, um, to be where we are, their own, the only explanation for that is God. You know, and uh, you know, I, I know what it's like to kidnap my family and take them to an AA convention, and I knew that when that was all said and done, that God had a purpose for that, and He did. You know, and
1: uh,
3: so I don't apologize for those kinds of things today. You know, just keep trucking away. I promise you, I'll be all right. And, uh, you know, for me, it's, um, uh, very, very grateful and I'll get real emotional and I, and I don't want to spend too much more time up here, but, uh the life that we have today is, uh, 180 out from, uh, where, where I came from or where I grew up and, uh, when my daughter was little, uh, when she was in, in like elementary school, I would ask her, how many of your friends have the same mom and dad that they started out with? And at that time, it was about half of her friends. And as she got into junior high school, it moved down to about a quarter of her friends. And by the time she was getting ready to graduate, I asked her the same thing, and it was her and one other girl had the same parents that they started out with. And uh, I know that that's not possible for somebody like me and my wife without a program, like this, you know, um, left to our own devices, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I can't speak for, but at least for me, I know that, you know, I'll have three or four kids with, you know, (coughs) 10 different women. I mean, it's just get crazy. And, uh, you know, today I don't, I don't live that way. I don't have to live that way. Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a freedom that, um, When I walked in the room today, my head shut off. And unless you're a real addict alcoholic or whatever you want to call yourself, you'll never understand that. But one of the miracles is that about two years ago, through some codependent issues I was having with my parents, I found the rooms of Al-Anon. And I found a men's Al-Anon group. And... uh, yeah, I found a men's Al-Anon group, uh, and, um, I got to, learn to let go of some things that I had been holding on to and, and wanted to get better, you know? And, uh, you know, every Tuesday that I'm available, I, I try to make it to that men's Al-Anon meeting. And I didn't know what God had in store for me in that. I just knew that my sponsor gave me some direction. I took some foot, did some footwork and I became part of that group. And, uh, the cool thing is is that um you know we were just meeting here and there, and then we finally got into a, a church and like a real meeting right it's in the directory and all that stuff and um uh, November first we're gonna you know go to Sizzler and have our one year little anniversary of a men's meeting you know, and uh those guys have become uh, you know i'm an alcoholic i'm 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 a tough guy and, and I don't cry, so uh, i that's what I think at least right but I go to the uh the Al-Anon meeting and uh I've gotten to get in touch with some feelings that that left left alone uh were starting to make me very coarse and raw and and just real jaded about life and through the program of Al-Anon I've been able to um, get in touch with some of those things and uh you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to come up here in a pink shirt and tie or anything, mm-hmm. but it does mean that I've gotten to get, I've gotten to find another area of my life that I believe my God would have me surrender, so that I could grow. And through that, um, and I swear I'll finish with this: is that my my mom and dad were going through some stuff and. Uh, I wanted to physically put my hands on on that man again. And uh, when I was three years sober was the last time I did that. In fact, that was the last time I physically put my hands on anybody in anger. And uh, I made a commitment that I would never, ever do that again. And it just so happens uh, the man that had sponsored me for ten years of my recovery had just moved back to town and... uh, when everything hit the fan, I called him 11 o'clock at night and said, "Are you busy?" And he said, "Come on over." And we stayed on his back porch and, and talked and cried and laughed till 5:30 in the morning. And when we were done, I didn't no longer wanted to put my hands on on my dad, and uh, I, I knew what needed to to be done. So I went home, slept for a while, and, and her and I talked. And we went and sat down with my parents. And we talked to them and we told them that we loved them and that we would help them out any way we could other than financially because that was where the wedge was coming between us. And that we loved them and uh, that we were going to pray for them. and uh, we, we were going to give them space so that they couldn't use our kids as a, an excuse for not dealing with their own problems. And basically we forced them to hold themselves accountable to one another um, and keep us out of it. And, and what I realized with that experience was that my job in that whole deal was to protect my kids and make sure that they didn't get drugged into the middle of that. And uh, I went home and, and we sat down with our kids and we didn't have to get into specifics and details. We just told them in a general way, look, mom and Papa are, are going through some stuff and they need some space. And then as a, as a family, we got on our knees and we prayed for my parents. And that's probably the most adult thing I ever did in my whole life. But I'll tell you what, that changed the way, one, that I looked at my family, and I know for a fact it changed the way my kids looked at me. Because they know the dad that will kick in somebody's door and go over there and rattle their cage. And we weren't going to do that. We prayed for them, and and we moved on with what we were doing. And uh, our relationship with them has gotten better over the last couple years. And we've been able to, again, God has given us an opportunity to grow. So, I am uh, very grateful to be here tonight very grateful that you guys asked us to come do this um, I can talk forever obviously <laughs> and uh, you know my sponsor at this point would say let your wife go up there and, and tell the truth
1: so, <laughs> okay now the truth teller now we're going to hear from Lorena <laughs>
0: Hi, I'm Lorena, Hi, Hi, I'm a grateful member of the Alamon Family Group. Hi, Rye. <laughs> um, wow, well, I don't know where to start. Um, that's my family, and we're just missing one part. It was my, our daughter, um, but like my husband just shared, she's at college, and she's at this point. We've given them the tools of what. We let them know what's going on with our family, you know, that the disease of alcoholism is there. No matter that he got sober or that we've been going to program for X amount of years, it doesn't mean that it fixed it. So all we could do was just give them the tools and say, after that, you have a choice. And she's chosen to transition into Al-Anon, which secretly we're like, yay! But (laughs) whatever they choose. Um, But, you know, for me, I didn't grow up in a home that had active alcoholism my mom and dad were divorced and on my mom's side of the family no one drank over there that I knew of and then on my dad's side he drank like maybe every other sunday maybe a couple the beer would just kind of sit there for like months and months so I never saw it as a problem um you know I I knew there were weird things in my family though like I had one uncle who came home from the war who mysteriously choked on some tequila. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. Chokes on tequila. Hmm. You know, but it was never a big issue. No one ever said anything about alcoholism or anything like that. So when I got with my husband, that's when I really got introduced to what alcoholism was. And like he was sharing, we met in high school and we met through my friend, little sister, who was dating him and blah, blah, blah. And I was the one who always did the right thing. I went to class on time. I did all my homework. I did all the stuff I needed to do. You know, I was very about If they told me I needed to do it, I did it that way. I, would, I wouldn't stray from what I had to. And when I got around him, he wasn't like that. He was just kind of go-with-the-moment type of guy. Let's go in here. Let's, let's take a cruise to Vegas. Okay. You know, things that I wouldn't do myself, he, he would do. And it was exciting, and it was fun, and it was that little push to where I could go do these things with him. And, um, you know, when I got pregnant with our daughter, it, that was a hard thing because my role as in that family was I was going to go to college, and there was all these expectations that I was going to do, mm-hmm. and me getting pregnant was not part of the plan. And so that was really hard for, for me to go through, and I gravitated toward his family because his family was so okay with that. I remember when we told his mom and dad, his I thought they would be mad and upset and, you know, give us the riot act. But instead his mom said, congratulations, which I thought, hmm, that was like really easy
1: mm-hmm.
0: to do. And I just thought, wow, his family is awesome. You know, They're so nice. Because when I told my parents, of course it was, I got the, what happened how could you what's the option blah 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 and so we made a decision to have our daughter and um that was something that was one of the first things that we chose to do and we kept her and we're grateful because she's really awesome but (laughs) um we did that together and I thought since we did that together and we were walking down this path it was just me and him against the world and everything was going to be awesome and once we moved in together, everything changed. Um, but the, my expectations of what I thought our life was going to be like was nothing what it was. We fought all the time. He never came home. And see, when we were, I was still living at my parents, my mom's house, I would see him, and we would go to parties, and I would actually drink, and he would maybe have one or two, and I would never know the difference. And he was the type of guy, he organized the whole party. He had a map, and he charged people for the map, and he told them where to go. So he was making all this money on the side. So he was organizing the little red cups out in the middle of the desert. And it was just, he was working. And I had to be home, so he would take me home. And I thought, he's going home too. Oh, no. I find that later at speaker meetings that he was going back and he was drinking that rest of that keg. And he was out until, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. And then by the time he called me in the morning again, he was just coming home. And I didn't know those things. You know, I was home all night cozy in my bed thinking, oh, he's home too. Um, So delusional. And when those things came up and when we moved in together that's when the real alcoholism started we did everything backwards in program um in our lives actually you know we had kids first then we got married and i always tease because it's like we had the fast pass of alcoholism everything was just condensed fast and there you know some people drag it out to where it's years and years of alcoholism They, they deal with this they deal with that no everything was fast and you know he got sober when he was 18 and And I remember thinking, you're 18. How is this a problem with you? You just need to grow up and just get it together and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And I had no clue about how the disease affects the family or anything like that. So like he shared, I was really angry and upset about it. And I was real resentful that he would go to these programs because why are you hanging out with these 40 year olds and 50 year olds and what are you doing all this time and it was doing the same thing he was never home he was always gone and he was always at a meeting and so I resented those damn meetings and go ahead talk to your sponsor he's your best friend you know don't talk to me go talk to your best friend and the more and more he did that the more and more bitter I got the more and more anger I got and I instead of Instead of dealing with that stuff, I would just stuff it, and I would stuff it. And I would be that, okay, honey, that's fine, bye. Okay, honey, fine, bye. And I would remember all of these things. So the moment that he set me off, I would just bring all this stuff up. And it was like a machine gun of all these things I built up, you know, all my list of things that he did did wrong. And I would just throw it all at him at one point. And then he's like, screw this, and then he would leave. And then I'm like, oh. And I was left there at the house with all of that rage and emotions and the only person who was there in the house with me was my daughter so she's the one who got the brunt of it and it wasn't like I abused her or anything like that but it was like pick up your toys, do this, what are you doing? why are your socks on backwards, you know, just stupid stuff and I would be just this raging person at home and he wasn't there he didn't see any of that but my daughter got to have that growing up and those are the things that I did. That's how alcoholism affected me. And those times when he'd be out, whether it was in the active disease or even him in sobriety, I was without trying to find him where he was at, you know. Because cell phones weren't really, we didn't have cell phones back then. So it was like, I had to find him. And if nobody answered my call, I will find you. And I did. And I remember going in the middle of the desert with her in the car seat to go find where he was because he was at some party at some undisclosed location, but I knew the vicinity of it, but I was going to find it. And I did that in a little four-door car, and I would go find him. And even the points when I didn't find him, I mean, I could have got stuck out there. There was no cell phones. I didn't have AAA. I didn't, you know, I crazy. And I would get home like at... 5 o'clock in the morning, tuck her back in her crib, and then go into bed, and then I would hear the car, because I knew what the car sounded like right when it drove up. I don't know why. I still do today. I'm like, oh, Daddy's home. The truck's here. I can still know the, the sound of the car. But I remember doing that several times, going, I hear that car come, and for... I've been looking for him, so I shouldn't think that I want to talk to him. No, I go run into the bed, and I put the covers on and pretend I'm sleeping this whole time. My heart's going like this, and I'm thinking he can see the blankets going like this. He doesn't care. <laughs> you know, it's just me all in my head. And he would just go and go to bed, and I'm like, really? He's sleeping that fast? Oh, I'd be so annoyed. But see, he didn't do that to me. I did that all to myself. And I don't know why or how or where I learned that from, but it was just normal. It was just what I had to do. And it was just me. And I didn't know that. I thought I was crazy because the things that I would share with, like, my mom or with my friends and stuff, I remember my mom going, you should just leave him, you know. You're okay. You're not married yet, so it's fine. She was was always like, just come home and just, just start all over. And I'm like, no, but you don't understand. I love him. And she's like, oh, okay. And I would get that big sigh. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then the friends I had, they I wore out their conversations on the phone, too. None of them wanted to pick up anymore. They're like, well, i got to go. I'm going over here. I'm like, oh, okay. So I ran out of family to talk to. I ran out of friends to talk to. And the only thing I ever had was work. You know, And that was the only place that I could go shine and be someone different. You know, I had self-esteem at work, I could do all these things, I would overachieve, and I would do all this stuff to make myself feel better, but once I walked through that door at home, it was just like, everything wasn't good enough, the house wasn't clean, we didn't have dinner, blah, 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 whatever, my head would think at that particular moment, because it would change from day to day, but when he got sober, when he got sober, I was just, I was miserable, you know, and I thought, okay, he's sober, so what's changed, you know, I thought this was supposed to be better, why isn't it, what, what happened? Where's my magic button? You know, I'm supposed to have this little white ticket fence <laughs> and have this little life, and it didn't. And we were fighting and then having that moment to where the table switched and I was the one in front of that door. I knew there was something wrong with me, but I just didn't know what it was. And I knew he was going to AA, and I just figured, well, we're doing the same things. Maybe I'm need to start going with him, so I would go to some open AA meetings with him, with my arms crossed, and I would sit there, and then I would see these wives of AA members who weren't going to al but they were the AA wives, ooh, they were very sad, very sad, very bitter, I remember trying to be, like, say hi to them, and they would just be like, hello, you know, I'm just... I'm like, that's not nothing I wanted. And I'm like, well, the AAs are over here laughing. So I thought, oh, that's a little better option over no, here. I so I, I started going to meetings, and I would hear what they say. And I heard of them talking about, like, the hole in the gut and them feeling these feelings and the insanity and the craziness. And I related to that so much. And so I thought, you know what? We did the same thing, so maybe I'm an alcoholic, too. I mean, we're together, so that just must be how it is. So, for a few months, I would go to AA meetings and I would share. I'm like, I think I'm an alcoholic. And they're like, Yay, keep coming back. And I'm like, Okay, great. And I just thought this is awesome. And then, you know, my husband was like, We weren't married at the time, but he's like, Here, I'll get you a big book so you can have your own big book. And by the way, I'll be your sponsor. I said, Okay. I thought cool we're doing this together now I didn't know so we would go to meetings and then you know I'm here with my sponsor (laughs) because what really changed because in the disease of alcoholism he pretty much already was you know it just now it was I had a title and so we did these things and then he shared about us going to that big bear meeting and at that big bear meeting I got to be honest for the first time and I said I really relate to what you're saying, but I just, I don't drink like that. I don't really want to drink, you know. Some drinks just are are awful. And then so thankfully that guy 12-step me and he said, Here, my wife isn't home right now, but let me go home and get you a newcomer packet. And I thought, Don't do that. It's fine. You know, of course, it's fine. Don't worry. And he's like, No, stay here. He's like, I only live around the corner. I'll be like 10 minutes. I said, Okay, and then he's like, "Yeah, just wait and see what they have." You know, if not, here's this big book. You know, I'm like, okay. So he brought me this newcomer packet, and I remember reading um, the uh, the merry-go-round pamphlet, and I remember reading that over and over and over. And he was talking about in the bath, uh, me in the bathroom. That me in the bathroom. I always liked going in the bathroom and hiding out. I never cried in front of him because I always thought it was a sign of weakness and that he was winning. So I would never, ever cry in front of him. So what I would do when I was upset, I would go into the bathroom. I could lock the door because there was a lock on it. And then I was like, I'm going to take a shower. And I would take a shower, and I would cry in the shower. Mm-hmm. And I would cry in the shower, and then it was a little more dramatic, too, because the water would be on me. I'm like, oh, you know. But then if my eyes were red and stuff, I could always say, oh, I got shampoo in my eyes or something. There's always an excuse to cover something up. You know, so that was my thing is I always locked myself in the bathroom. And so I remember reading those things and relating so much to it. And I heard in the AA meetings I was going to, I heard the AA, the Al-Anon jokes. Mm -hmm. And I heard the Al-Anon things and about the wives and the divorce and all that. And I thought, do I really want to go to that place? I saw those AA wives at the potluck. I don't know if I want that. And I I just had this thing about I didn't know what it was. So when I went actually to my first Al-Anon meeting, I was able to learn that it was about me. And I didn't know that. I thought it was all about him, and I needed to share everything about him. And it was just, just like it was, everything about him. And what Alanon has given me is so much more because doing something like this, speaking, I would have never done that. I was quiet. I was a watcher. I was never a doer. I would um, help. I was a helper, of course. But don't ask me to, like, sit, like, it's even hard to, like, sit up here in front and stuff like that. I, praise was hard. You know, oh, good job or anything like that. I could give you praise. I'd be, like, hugging and, you know, telling you you're awesome. But if someone did that to me, it felt uncomfortable. It felt dirty. It felt like, no, I'm not worth it. And, it, and it's still something that I have, I'm up and down with still today. But the things that I got to learn was what was my part in the disease of alcoholism and in the family. Because it was easy to blame him, but he's been sober for two years now. He's been working a program. That sparkle in his eye came back and he was helping and he was doing things and he was participating and he was a part of. So what was my problem? You know, I got all these things that I was wanting, but I wasn't happy either. So what was wrong with the family? And so when I started working with me and getting a sponsor and going through my steps and looking at my part and stuff, things just opened up so much. And once I got through that fourth step and did that fifth, it, bam, it just, it went off. And I got all that garbage that I was holding on to, you know, because even though I shared with you I didn't grow up in active drinking, there's alcoholism in there that I found out. You know, those little secrets that families don't want to share, I found out, my grandfathers on both sides were big alcoholics, incarcerated a lot, you know, drunk in public, whatever, but no one talks about that because you sweep it under the rug, you know? And because um, nobody wanted to share what was going on, I got to learn all this stuff in the behavior of what was passed on. You know, I got to be really good about keeping resentment and bringing up the path over and over and over again, not learning how to let go. And when I got to learn how to let go, it's like the sun came out, and I could, I could smile again. And I was at a meeting last night, and um, there was a new lady, and she was sharing on the topic was disappointment. I'm like, oh, God, really? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, disappointment. So I'm like, okay. And then I had to think about when I was new. I remember one of the first commitments I had, it was at a, a convention. I was a, did a marathon meeting, and I was in such a bad place. The best topic I could come out with was anger and resentment. I was like that is my best thing that's the only thing I had to share because I had nothing else and I wore black all the time and I was just what I felt what I was feeling inside reflected outside and I didn't know how to to let that go but I got to share about that and then people got who in the program who had time got to say, okay, we know about that well let's change what's the opposite of that? I don't know, <laughs> you know, and I got to learn how to do different things. Um, the way we spoke to each other, we had to learn our new language, you know, a new language of recovery and learn how to, to be a couple in recovery. And there was times that I just didn't want to go to a meeting, you know. I had too much stuff to do. I got laundry kids, this and blah, 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 blah. So I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to go to this convention. I'm going to go to this meeting. I'm like, Okay. And sometimes he would go without me. And I'd like, how dare he do that? You know, he is leaving me in the flipping house, blah, 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 blah. And he'd come back, and he'd be so happy. And then I'd be there going, God, I should have went to that thing meeting. The whole time thinking about I should have went, I should have went. I, why did I miss that meeting, blah, blah, blah. I should have just gone, and I wouldn't have felt crazy like that. And so I had to learn those things. And my sponsor would say, Why? what was so important? Was the laundry really going to make or break you that day? No. It's always going to be there. Go to the meeting. Okay. You know, and with my kids, my kids were little at the time and it was like babysitters. What am I going to do babysitters? And she said, it'll work out. Find a babysitter, get in the car. Okay. And I thought, God, why is she being so mean? You know? <laughs> but I had to realize that she was trying to help me because I was talking myself out of growing and changing and doing something different. Right away, I got a little bit of Al-Anon and I thought, I'm going to listen to my head again. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to watch TV or I'm going to make that awesome meal at home or whatever, because totally been doing it the whole time. You know, I just, I had that guilt of, I wanted to be this perfect mother, wife, whatever, and get the house beautiful and all this. But I all I was doing was talking to myself out of recovery. And I had to real and people had to talk to me and tell me, "Hey, what are you doing? You're sabotaging yourself." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I'm like, "Oh, okay." And I didn't even understand what do you mean sabotaging myself? I was so used to the chaos in the house that when it was absent from it, I did not know what serenity felt like. When it was uncomfortable. The stillness at the house, I didn't know how to react to. I knew how to to react when he said this and I said that and the kids were over here screaming. I could totally thrive in that environment. But when everyone's calm and everyone's not fighting and it's just a relaxing day, it was very uncomfortable in the beginning. And I had to learn what serenity felt like. And um, it sounds so bizarre, but that's just the life that we were living. And I... um, Yeah, I had to work on me. And um, my son, you know, people always say, why do you keep going back to Al-Anon? Why do you keep going week after week after week? And I remember my family would say that, too. Well, he's been sober long enough. Why do you keep doing those things? You know, the kids are okay. Why do you keep going? Do you have to go so much? Well, yeah, because I still, even though I have sobriety in my home today, there's still my family members who I love who are affected by the disease of alcoholism. They chaos, I can get thrown into their drama so fast. And I want to go in and tell them what they need to do or not to do. And then they want to drag my kids into it. And then I'm like, nope, stop. You know, he shared about his family and his, his mom and dad and stuff. And that was difficult for me because, yeah, it started to affect me. I had to share it at meetings and kind of get it out. And it was just like... The disease was just right back there you know and it was the manipulation the lies the broken promises all of that and it wasn't him it was my wonderful mother-in-law who could never hurt a fly was doing all these things and i'm like who is this lady you know what what is going on here and i had to treat it like someone who was active in the disease and i had to treat it and put boundaries up and you guys are the ones who taught me about boundaries that i could love somebody but I could love myself too to say, no, if that's unacceptable behavior, and it's time to go. And I didn't know we could do that. I thought that if you love somebody, you love them, and you're there the whole time, you know. And I got to get better from that. And today I don't participate in people people's behavior that I can't, um, that, is, that is harmful to me today and my serenity. And... um I don't know. It's just the the disease of alcoholism is because it's just because it isn't in my home. It doesn't mean it's not around me. And then there's times that in our family where I'm in a good spot and my husband's not in a good spot. And it's like, okay, dealing with someone who's sober and going through that stuff. And I remember in New sobriety, and I think my son was sharing, you know, My husband was angry, and he was upset, and he was, oh, you know, sobriety is wonderful, but those first few years, it's tough. Um, Some of it was even tougher than living in active disease. And I love that little book, uh, Living in Sobriety, that little uh, red book. It's a really inexpensive book, but it has so much good information in it. And I just, I love the literature. And the thing with me was in the beginning when I started being of service in my meetings and stuff, I wanted to do the literature because I could read a book and I could be happy with that. I wanted to do the self-help thing. And I thought, I'll do the literature and I don't have to do nothing, right? I'll just take care of the books. Well, my meeting tricked me. And I didn't know that it also came with a treasurer commitment. So I had to do a report every week and be accountable and come. And I was like, oh, my God. I thought I just had to do this literature thing once a month. And they go, oh, no, the treasurer is part of that. So then I had to learn how to be of service and be accountable to a group and come every week. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that I had a commitment to do that because those are the times when I needed it to, needed to be there, to be in a meeting. And then I um, started sponsoring Alateen, uh, preaching meetings and stuff. And I'm so grateful for that Alateen commitment. You know, um, we've encouraged and forced our kids to go to Alateen mm-hmm. because and all of us in that home are affected by alcoholism. And there's times that they didn't want to go, but they still went. There's times that I don't want to go, but I still go. And there's times that he doesn't want to go, and we still go. And that's part of, for us and our family, how we get to work a program. But sponsoring that Alla team meeting, I was so grateful that I got to do that because it gave me going to open AA meetings. It helped me hear what my husband was saying that I couldn't hear from him. Other alcoholics share it, and I can hear it better. For me, going to Alateen meetings and hearing these Alateen share, I can hear what they're saying, what I can't hear from my children. And that was one of the biggest gifts is because it's so close to the person you love, sometimes you just can't hear it. You have to hear it from somebody else. And I would keep going every week and every week like he, my son shared going to that meeting. And it wasn't necessarily for my son or my daughter, I did it for the other kids, and that sounds so twisted, but I would keep going back because those kids had nowhere else to go, you know what I mean? I'll, I will take my son to Dang Orange County to or a, a, a Pomona or anywhere to a, an Alateen meeting, but some of those parents who bring their Alateen kids, they won't do that. And there has to be somewhere where they can come. And that's why we kept those doors open. And we stayed for 20 minutes. We sat there with the radio on until someone showed up. And and someone's there. But there was someone there to open the door. And someone did that for us. You know, I've never gone to one of my Al-Anon meetings where the door's been shut, thank God. And I'm grateful for the people who have kept those commitments and have kept that door open because somebody's needed them. And so these kids... Have, need to have somewhere to go to because they hear everything they're they're in their rooms but they got ears and they hear everything they the we had a newcomer little boy last week he's like eight we do like 10 years old but i'm not stickler on it i'll come in you know and he was he was sharing and he was like yeah i told my dad let's just what did he say let's just do today And I was like, and it was like a second meeting. And I'm like, dang, you know. (laughs) And he was just, you know, and that's what one of the things that program has taught me is sometimes the voice, the voice of reason in the house doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the one with the most program and the most sobriety. Sometimes it's the littlest one in the house that tells you has a God conscience and is like, hey, what are you doing? You know, and that's the voice of reason. So. You know, I'm grateful that you've had us out here for your family meeting. You know, I hope someone has gotten to hear something. And um, I'm grateful the Allateens are all here, too. You guys are awesome. You know, Skack rocks. I hope you all go. And um, I'm just grateful that, you know, everyone is here today and that you guys get to have your own stuff and that um, hopefully you get to keep carrying the message and be a part of. So Thank you. Let's give him another round
1: of applause.